And it begins with the Bomber Hour. I'm Christian O'Mell. Bob Irving is back at the Polo Park studio. I'm in a condo somewhere in the heart of Winnipeg, where it is currently 25 on my thermostat, but that's okay. I've got a fan blowing hot air at me. Not that we blow hot air at you, the listeners, on a daily basis. Right, Bob? <laughs> uh, well said, Christian. I was Well, I wasn't thinking the same thing, but I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I know we won't get any hot air from North Carolina tonight because Stanley Bryant of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers joins us to kick off the Bomber Hour tonight. And Stanley never blows hot air at anybody. Stanley, welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm good, Bob. How are you? How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing okay. It's been, a, I know, a, a troubled uh, number of days, I guess, all through North America and around the world to some degree, but mostly in the country that you live in, and you're in North Carolina. Just uh, before we talk some football, give us, Stanley, maybe your thoughts on what you've seen the last four or five days in the United States. Um, it's just, just been crazy times right now. Um, a lot of uncertainty, basically starting with coronavirus and now um, with everything going on with the protesting, the rioting, the looting. It's just, it's just a lot going on. Um, a lot of people don't know where to turn or how to handle situations. You don't know what's right. You don't know what's wrong. It's just, it's just tough times here um, in the U.S. Pretty disturbing, isn't it? Uh, yes, sir. Um, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't really know what to say. I don't know if I say anything will be the right or wrong thing, but I mean, at some point, um, things definitely have to change um, for, for us. I mean, black America's here in the U.S., and maybe that day will come one day, but um, we're going to keep fighting and, and try to get things the right way. Okay, and we'll we'll move on to football, but let me ask you this, and this, I guess, is obvious, but I assume, Stanley, that uh, you have, at times, been the victim of racism? Uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm, I have, yes. Um, you know, I think a lot of guys um, here in America, a lot of black guys have experienced some type of form of racism, um, but, you know, that, that comes with the, with the territory. In some cases, you know, you just have to learn how to I want to say deal with it because you figure that um, from years and years ago that things have changed, but it comes to realization that they haven't. So, I mean, we're just going to keep on fighting, and you know, hopefully one day things change. What about the pandemic? How have you dealt with that? How much has that set you back? Um, a lot, you know, not being able to, to get into a gym and really do things that you're normally accustomed to as far as preparing for a season. That's been tough. Um, so you try your best to just just get around in the house or go out in the yard and do some things to, to stay in shape and stay strong and be prepared for a season that, that hopefully comes. Yeah. Christian? How unusual is it for you right now to, to be in the States on June 2nd where you'd normally be up here at training camp? It's very unusual because you're kind of stuck in a place like you don't really know what to do. I mean, the last, what, 19 years of, of my, my life, I've been six months in Canada and then six months in the U.S. You know, by this time, like you said, I'll be already up in Winnipeg. So, I mean, it's, it's an adjustment, adjustment. I mean, we some guys get to enjoy the summer, but not really because of the pandemic. So, I mean, get more time with your family and friends and it gives you an outlook to sit and, and look back and really appreciate football or just things in life a little bit more. Are you still uh, 
riding that buzz of winning the Grey Cup a little bit, Stanley, or is that kind of old news now? Uh, no, I'm still riding the buzz. You know, it's, it's a, a phenomenal thing we did. It was a long time coming. One of my uh, our goals with me coming to Winnipeg in 2015, and it was just a great thing to do. I mean, 2020 has been a crazy year, so we as a team, we did at the right time in 2019. And so I'm just happy to continue to ride that wave. Yeah, and I bet you uh, you were thinking very strongly you guys could do it again this year, coming back with a really a stacked team, man. Eh? Oh, yes, sir. I mean, a lot of guys are returning, which is it was a great thing, the continuity on the team. we got a, a great group of, group of guys on defense and offense, so plus teams as well. And so I think we're, we're at the top of the list to, to repeat, and hopefully we get a chance. Hopefully a season happens and we can go out and, and repeat. Christian, one more for you before we break. I just rewatched the Great Cup, Stanley, and the line of scrimmage was so dominated by both your crew on offense and the defensive line as well. Do you get a lot of pride watching the defensive line do their work as well? Oh, yes, most definitely. Because we go against those guys, man. And practice all the time. We always go back and forth and saying, like, we play those guys in the game that will dominate them or vice versa that dominate us. So we knew going to the game that, I mean, the, the line of scrimmage had to be won. We had that mindset going to every game. But the great cover we went out there and we just, we had fun and was just the physical and, and threw guys around. Christian O'Mal, Bob Irving, and offensive lineman for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Stanley Bryant in North Carolina. If I were to travel, to North Carolina, obviously we can't right now with travel restrictions. But if I were to, what is the one thing I'd have I have to eat if I go there? Oh, one thing you have to eat in North Carolina uh, barbecue uh, would be the one thing you definitely have to try. Um, also, you have to try cookout. Um, cookout is a fast food chain where you can go spend five bucks. Um, you get a tray of food and a drink. Uh, what else do you have to try? It's a lot of different things, but those are the top two things in North Carolina. Any barbecue you have to try in, in a fast restaurant called Cookout. You would definitely enjoy that. All right. I bet I would. Yeah, we'll go for the barbecue for sure. <laughs> so, Stanley, your Twitter yeah, handle is my humble self. Now, those of us who've gotten to know you a bit over the years, you're a very quiet, sort of soft-spoken guy. Uh, I would say you're you're humble. Where did the Twitter handle come from? Um, Honestly, I, I was... Trying to sit back and remember, I want to say um, I don't know. It was a song I listened to maybe years ago um, when Twitter first came out, and then I just decided to put that as my handle. Um, I, I consider myself a humble guy. Uh, I try not to take a lot of things for granted. Um, I come from a humble beginning. Uh, my mother and my sister. So just, just basically just just being humble. You know, like I said before, I don't repeat myself. Just not taking anything for granted. Just appreciating everything in life. Yeah, good for you. Well, you are that kind of guy. There's no question about that. You've had a great career. I would say uh, very much a Hall of Fame career. Stanley, are you 34 now? I've got the age right. No, I'm 30. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well. No, I'm I'm 34. Yeah. So how much much longer, Stanley? How much longer can you go on? Uh, I don't know. I, I haven't put a timetable on it. You know, my, my body feels fine. My mind is fine. Um, I'm just going to keep going uh, until, the wheels, until the wheels fall off, you know, until, that, until I wake up one day and I just decide that, 
it's not for me anymore. I don't want to put forth the effort to really go out there and, and play the game of football. But right now, um, I feel fine, like I said. Hey, tell me this. We're going to have Michael Couture on here in a few minutes. Um, Stanley, a guy who's been around a long time, you watch young guys like Michael develop. What's that like for you? Do you get take a lot of satisfaction in that? Oh, yes. You know, because coming in, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know Mike as a, as a rookie. He was telling me a story about um, his rookie year, and, and he was watching film, and I came in. I didn't say two words to him. I think he made it up. I don't really remember that. But um, just seeing the progress of him get better and better each and every season, uh, practice, games, you know, he's he's come a long way. You know, the injury at the end of the season last year was was pretty bad, but, I mean, he, I'm just glad to have him as a teammate and just watching his growth. Sure. Christian? I'm looking at your your history here. Winnipeg, games played, 2015, 18 games, 2016, 18 games, 2017, 18 games, 18 games, 18 games. How much pride do you take in your durability? Um, I feel a lot of pride, but it's just one of those things that, that happens. You know, it's, I know I'm just happy to say this, a, a blessed individual to be able to go out there and, and, and not get injured, you know, being able to go out there and play every game. You know, I never really looked at the the consistency or the durability factor, but, I mean, in the past, people have been mentioning it. So um, I just want to say I've been blessed to be able to do it, just go out there and play. One thing that football players and all athletes get used to, Stanley, is players coming and going, and you worked in front of a guy named Matt Nichols for many years, and he has now moved on because the club decided to go with Zach Kolaris. Do you get used to that sort of thing, or are, are some of these things still tough when you develop a relationship with somebody? Uh, I might say a little bit of both. You get used to it, and it's still tough because at the end of the day, you got to realize football is football, but it's also a business. You know, just tough decisions have to be made, and and the ownership and the management they they make those tough decisions and they make the right decisions. So, um, you know, Matt was a was a hell of a quarterback for. Well, Blue Bombers, you know, he was he was part of the the change in the organization. We did some great things together, and um, you know, I wish him the best. He's he's still one of my, my guys that I love there. Yeah, he's off to Toronto, and uh, boy, he'll be fired up and and ready to I think prove people wrong that uh, the Bombers let him go. Stanley, we're going to let you go. Uh, we want to thank you for joining us here tonight. Uh, we look forward, to, hopefully, to seeing you sometime in August. Uh, are you? Optimistic there'll be a season, or what are your thoughts on that? Uh, right now, I'm I'm very optimistic about a season happening. You know, a lot of things can change um, in the next couple of months. So I'm just hoping for the best and wishing for the best. That I mean, that we guys can get out there and, and play football. I mean, not only in Canada, just all over the world. You know, because sports is a is a huge thing, not only here in the U.S. but also in Canada, it's a worldwide thing. So. Um, Hope the thing works itself out and, and then we can get rolling yeah. and repeat. Sure. Stanley, thanks very much. Appreciate your time tonight. Thanks, Stanley. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys, for having me on. And we resume the offensive lineman portion of the Bomber Hour now. Christian O'Mel, Bob Irving, and we are joined by Blue Bomber setter Michael Couture. Michael, welcome to the show. I assume you're in BC right now? That is correct, I am. And how is it out there with the uh, pandemic and how? the province has been able to do a pretty good job flattening the curve. Yeah, it seems like it's uh, trending in the right direction right now. Things are slowly beginning to open up and, uh, you know, just being patient with the whole thing. 
Are you able to train as uh, as well as you'd like, Michael? Um, pretty pretty close to to normal for me. Uh, my gym, a lot of gyms here um, are just starting to open. My my regular gym would open June fifteenth, um, but when this all started, my girlfriend's parents actually. Um, took action and, and rented some equipment from a local gym and put it in the backyard. So that was a huge uh, savior for me. So I'm I'm still in the backyard lifting. All right, that's great. Now you're rehabbing an injury and a boy a tough year for you in that you you know you'd really established yourself as a frontline guy and then you get hurt and you miss the playoffs and the Grey Cup game. How how difficult was all that? Uh, it was difficult for the few days kind of after the initial injury and and starting the rehab because it was, you know, it was the fourth quarter of the last regular season game. And then of course we go on the amazing playoff run that we did. Yep. So I had to have a, a kind of a quick conversation with myself that I can't feel bad about what had happened. And I got to, you know, enjoy the journey with, with the brothers. So that's what happened. I, I think uh, I saw you great cup week and you kidded with me that you were, you might be able to play on Sunday, but you, you were never close to playing, were you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Wishful thinking, I guess. Yeah. So how yeah. how is the recovery? Are you 100% yet or no? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I've, I'm ready to go. Yeah. But well, other, th- other things are holding us back from yeah. football right now. So No, no kidding. So uh, mentally, and we've asked uh, the last two weeks, we've done these shows with Bomber players, and one of the questions we ask is uh, mentally how tough is this when, you know, your life sort of revolves around being in training camp and getting ready to play games, and you don't have that now. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I try and continue to watch the same amount of film that I would. Um, but a lot of it is, is physical for sure, because right now our bodies and our minds are, are getting ready to, to perform for camp and camp is no joke. And then going into a, a super long season. So kind of, I've had a talk with my trainer and we've tweaked some of my, uh, the phases of my training and just trying to stay mentally sharp with, with all that's going on. Yeah. Christian. How optimistic are you that you will be able to come to Winnipeg in August? There will be football on the field September, and there will be a great cup hoisted probably in December. Um, I'm super optimistic about that. I, I'm, I follow a lot of um, analysts and, and whatnot on Twitter and just trying to stay in the loop of potential scenarios. And, you know, as long as um, the trend goes in the right way in, um, like, flattening the curve kind of sense, then – I don't see why we can't get it going in September. Hey, we had Stanley Bryant on here a few minutes ago, Michael, and he uh, talked about your first year where he didn't think you said two words the whole year in the film room. <laughs> Tell us about that. When you, you walk in there and you see guys like Stanley Bryant, were you a little intimidated by the vets? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, if I if I said I wasn't, I'd probably be lying. So, um you know, I, I really enjoyed that year. Those guys did take me under their wing, uh, even though it was a bit intimidating in the beginning. But, you know, we, we've just grown as friends from there. So Yeah, and they talk about a brotherhood all the time. I don't think there's any tighter brotherhood in a, on a football team than the O-line, is there? Um, I, we're all, I mean, our whole locker room, and guys have come from other places too, and they said that we, they've never been a part of a locker room like ours when it comes to how tight we all are, but especially for sure in that O-line room, we, we like to hang out for sure. Why is that? Why has it, was it so tight there? Um, you know what? It, I don't know. I think we all just put in the effort to really get to know each other and, and spend time off the field. And we found that 
when that that cohesiveness was was tighter, it that showed on the field, and we were willing to go that extra mile for each other, and I think that showed yeah. on the field. Well, listen, Michael, we appreciate you doing this. What's the weather like out there? And you're in Burnaby, right? Uh, I am in actually Coquitlam now, okay. so just beside Burnaby. But uh, it was pouring rain this morning, and then it was sunny for about an hour and a half, and now it's overcast. So yeah, we're getting we're getting the mix of everything right now. Way too much rain out in the west coast. You should move here full time, Michael. It's beautiful. <laughs> Twenty seven degrees. There's no mosquitoes. Oh, this is this is heaven on earth. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> Winnipeg summers are great. Yeah, they are. Hey, Michael, thanks for doing this. We thanks, appreciate Michael. it. Hopefully, we'll see you in August. Hey, no worries. Okay. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. Christian O'Mell, Bob Irving. I was an official once, Bob. In university, I needed some money, so I decided to officiate intramural basketball as well as Quidditch at the University of Western Ontario. The Quidditch went well. We kind of made up the rules as we went, but the basketball did not. I was yelled at constantly by very <laughs> aggressive, testosterone-filled 19- to 22-year-old males, and I hated it, and I did it only one year because I did not have the thick enough skin to handle it. Did you ever officiate anything? No, I didn't, and you better have thick skin if you're going to be an official because uh, it's not it's not Mr. Popularity when you're out on any field, that's for sure. And on that note, we welcome to our Blue Bomber Hour, Al Bradbury of Winnipeg, longtime CFL referee. How many years now, Al? Uh, 20 seasons. 20 seasons, and going into your 21st, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, you're also a retired member of the Winnipeg Police Force, and before we talk football with you, uh, we do have to get you, your thoughts, I guess, uh, to some degree on what we've seen the last few days uh, in the United States. It must be troubling for you to watch that. It always is. Um, you know, we uh, we our brethren uh, from uh, all, all facets of it. Policing is uh, uh, we wear it together when we have proud moments, and we have to wear it when we don't have proud moments. These are one of those non-proud moments, and. Uh, People have to see that the high percentage, the very, very high percentage, and we just saw it the other day with an arrest made here in Winnipeg, uh, you know, highly volatile situation on a bus, uh, and they, you know, were able to successfully subdue somebody who just committed a homicide and take him into custody. Well, and that, those are high, high charge situations, and when they're done professionally, uh, that's what we want the outcome to be. Uh, the Winnipeg Police Service is. Uh, highly touted for their training, the use of uh, um, holds where you're using your shin to pin people in places that uh, we're always looking for positional asphyxiation so that we don't cause those things. And uh, we rely heavily on those training moments. And when they come in in the heat of the moment, I think that the Winnipeg Police Service uh, is very proud of the way that they do those things. And a uh, high charge situation, as we just saw here in Winnipeg, uh, worked out well. And we don't want those bad situations to happen. Yeah, I think what gets forgotten in all this is that the vast majority of police officers are are good people who do their job in a in a first class way. And I'm glad you brought that up, Al. All right, let's talk about refereeing uh, and the pandemic. And I think uh, people have a lot of people have heard your story about getting home just in time from a from a trip when the when the pandemic hit. Uh, we've talked to players on this show. Uh, the last couple of weeks, Alan asked them how bummed out they are over the pandemic messing up their football lives. How about you? Yeah, I was just looking at my schedule. I've already missed uh, what would have been my first game, and it would have been a mentor position to 
uh, help a new referee out and, and watch them there. So those are always great days for me where I get to pay it forward to, to the next group coming up. And then I would have been scheduled coming up for, for my next weeks on regular season, almost starting. Like we would have been just about through preseason in a couple of weeks. And really, as we always meet each other at the start of the season at, at the mini camps at, uh, at Bomber Field there and, and uh, on the practice field and getting out there and, you know, hoping that they don't do too many offsides or uh, procedures so I don't have to do push-ups with them, but <laughs> missing all that stuff and, and uh, hoping that we can kind of get forward some soon. Yeah, for sure. What uh, attracted you to officiating? And uh, Christian has mentioned that you do basketball games as well. Uh, what what yeah, is it? I've been a, I've been a CIS official. I don't know how many years I've been doing that as well. So I do yeah. university basketball. That's my highest level. Mostly high school and the senior leagues here in the city for basketball. And uh, officiating was one of those things. I, I I'm a transplant to to Winnipeg. I, I more time in Winnipeg than not. But I came to Winnipeg in 1987 when I joined the service, and uh, I kind of lost all my football contacts. So I, I played the uh, college football in Ontario at Sheridan College. That was my last. Uh, playing days and I coached uh, at high school in Burlington, Ontario. And then when I came here, I did, didn't have those connects. And when I did find a connect, it was actually uh, in officiating. And uh, it was a, a bus ride of all places where I was talking to another fella. And uh, he told me about it and got me in it. And that was one of those great things because policing at the time was schedule orientated. I couldn't give up my, my job in the way coaching is so admirable because you're you're there the entire season all the time every day not just game day with officiating you're able to kind of get back into the game but you were able to go on game day and then do your own work at home to get ready for stuff so. yeah christian correct me if i'm wrong your wife is also a basketball official and she is the better of the two just ask her <laughs> <laughs> but by far she is the better basketball official i'll give her that and she's actually been a football official for the last few years as well she was doing a uh uh, women in officiating, and she's uh, quite a quite a big uh, charge leader for that kind of stuff in all all aspects of officiating, all sports. And uh, she was giving a clinic to women in officiating, which was uh, sponsored by Football Manitoba. And they uh, by the end of it talked her into doing a uh, doing some on field work, and so she's been fishing for the last few years as well. So, so were you an official before? Were you both officials before you met, or did you meet through officiating? Oh no, 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 Martha and I had been uh, we we're, were high school. Uh, sweethearts type okay. of yeah, We always ask players, Al, about their Al Bradbury's with us, by the way, folks, about their career highlights. You've worked six great cup games, 20 years. Uh, do you have a career highlight, a game or two that, uh, you know, you cherish? Uh, yeah, uh, I guess it would have been 2004, the Western final. We went into overtime, um, and uh, we were at BC Place. The place was rocking. It was full. It was a, it was a big night. Um, my first great cup, obviously in 2004 was a, a pretty big highlight as well. Um, working my, uh, uh, first one as the head man here in, in Winnipeg in, uh, 2015, uh, uh-huh. was a great, great time for me as well. It was a tough year for me. I, I lost a lot of family members that year for, for various things. And, and, uh, it's one of those things just like as the pandemic is now, uh, we find, you know, our escapes in certain things. Uh, I would never try and put sport over top of what's going on in the world. Uh, but people need those escapes, and it's a healthy mental side for it to get back out there and, and be allowed to have fun, be allowed to challenge yourself. Um, you know, let, let the things that the world are going on happening, I get that. Uh, but sometimes everybody just needs that escape 
and it's it's fun to be out there and see everybody cheering. Sure. Finally, Alan, leave it on this note. Uh, I know that officials, football officials, uh, have interesting interactions with players and coaches, uh, and you hear a lot, a lot of different things. Some of it not so good. Some, but I'm sure really funny. You must have encountered a million uh, humorous scenarios over the years uh, with the characters you're dealing with. Oh yeah, yeah. I've had some good chirps uh, from the sideline and stuff like that. And uh, as I'm kind of known, maybe I chirp back a little bit here and there, as long as we're all going to play play fair with each other. Uh, but yeah, there's uh, there's a couple of uh, sharp uh, sharp uh, tongue guys there that I don't want to compete with because they're just too fast for me. But uh, uh, you learn to uh, take your moments and enjoy them. Uh, you never are trying to be disrespectful for it. But everybody's out there working hard, and, and you know you get your veterans. And, you get down there, and the, the nice part about being the uh, referee, right? You're you're dealing with your offensive line, and you're dealing with your defensive line. A lot of times, those are the guys that are going to do those long years in the league with us, and uh, you know you, you can kind of get a relationship going and an understanding. That you see a big man of of three plus uh, working all all day hard, sweating it out, and then he's looking at you to see if he can take his helmet off, and you kind of pause for that second, <laughs> and then say yes. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, Al, we appreciate you doing this tonight. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Give us an insight. Yeah, and we hope we see you on a field before long. Uh, We all do, hopefully. Take care. Thanks, Al. Al Bradbury, a referee from uh, Winnipeg, CFL referee, head referee. He's been at it for a long time, 20 years, six great cup games. So we've done some checking in across the the country over the last couple of weeks with the Bomber Hour. Yesterday we had Mark Steven, our friend from Calgary, on the show. And tonight we check in with Morley Scott of 630 Ched just up the road to see how things are going in Edmonton. Morley, how are you tonight? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing great, Morley. What's the uh, coronavirus situation, first of all, in Edmonton right now? Uh, it, it's probably the best in Canada, at least in the major cities in Canada. Uh, we had a, a few outbreaks, I guess, over the last couple of days. It was all linked to some family uh, get-togethers that had taken place over the last couple of weekends. Uh, but for the most part, the numbers have been low. We went about five or six days uh, and then a couple of times without having any positive tests in Edmonton. There were positive tests in Alberta. But, but Edmonton has, been, uh, has handled it pretty well. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why the NHL has them on the short list for uh, for their hub city uh, proposal that that is part of their return to play. So it's it's been it's been pretty good in Edmonton. Uh, you got to commend Edmontonians for the the cautiousness to which they've approached this. And uh, as we open up again, uh, start to open up again, we hope that it continues. Yeah, hold on a second here. I gotta I gotta take Morley to task on something here. He said Edmonton okay. handled it better than any major city. In Canada, Winnipeg's done a pretty dang good job too. Are you saying Winnipeg's not a major city, Mr. Morley Scott? <laughs> uh, well, okay. Uh, let's say, let's say uh, let's say Winnipeg's handled it well too. No, Winnipeg is a major city, and I will say this on the record: Winnipeg is one of my favorite stops on the Canadian Football League tour, and uh, I should have been there last week for a preseason game, and uh, I missed going there. So uh, it's going well in Winnipeg too. That is true, and I uh, I, I stand corrected. Well, the way Alberta and Manitoba have dealt with this pandemic, Morley, has given rise, I think, to some hope that we might see a football season in September. These, there's only three of the nine markets in these two provinces. But what, what are you hearing from the Eskimos? Anything about their thoughts on whether or not we're going to play football this year? 
Eskimos have been pretty quiet uh, on that front. Uh, they have not uh, offered themselves to talk too much about things. Uh, last we heard from uh, general manager Brock Sunderland, he basically said, you know, it's 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 out of our control. We're ready to go when when the league's ready to go, and they've kind of left uh, left it up to the league to make the decisions and do the talking about the future. And uh, both he and Scott Milanovich kind of in the same position where they say, hey. Tell us if we're going tomorrow, we're ready to go. If we're going in August, we're ready to go. If we're going in September, we'll be ready to go. That's kind of been the Eskimos' approach to this whole thing. Yeah, I go back and forth on this. One day I feel there's room for optimism and that by the middle of August, which is still two and a half months away, that you know things will have cleared up to the point where maybe they can play some games to half houses or whatever. And then the next day I don't feel... I don't feel as optimistic for no reason, I guess. Probably a lot of people are on that same path, eh? Yeah, you and me both, Bob. I'm the same way. Some days I, I think, hey, we're going to get everything back on track. We're going to watch some hockey. We're going to watch some basketball. We're going to watch some football. And then other days I think, man, it's going to be hard to go a whole year without watching any sports because uh, it, you're right. I think that's part of what we're going through. The whole ordeal is the ebbs and flows of, of uh, the emotions of this whole thing, for sure. It's just trying to, to get in, in your own head what you're thinking and what you're believing and what you're seeing. And, and as I've said many times and I've talked to many people about it, I was talking to Randy Ambrosi last week and, and, and he said the same thing. It's like the worst thing about this whole thing is that there's so many questions and the answers to so many of those questions are just, I don't know. Yeah. And and we don't know where we're going to be in one particular city in two weeks or a month or, you know, when a vaccine is going to be available. We just don't know. And that's, that's to me, that's the biggest problem and the biggest setback of this whole thing. It's so hard to plan ahead because there's just too many I don't knows out there. Yeah, it's impossible. Scott Milanovich, the Eskimos' new head coach, is he in Edmonton or is he still in Florida? I, I believe he's still in Florida. He was going back there, and with the border closed, I don't believe yeah. he would uh, he would be in Edmonton yet. He was in uh, he was in Florida for the draft and worked uh, from there. Uh, he of course stayed in Florida to finish up uh, the football season in the NFL with Jacksonville as well. He was in Edmonton for a while in January. Met with the staff after they were hired and and did some media stuff and worked in the office for a little bit. Then went back to Florida, and then everything kind of shut down after that point. So I believe he's still in Florida and, and just waiting this out. And, and, and you know what coaches are doing, Bob, uh, they're just sitting there watching film, yep. just trying to get, uh, just trying to think up ways to reinvent the wheel, uh, the football wheel. And I'm sure he's doing the same thing. All the other coaches are doing. They're just trying to get more prepared for uh, a season. If we have one, that's what coaches do. They sit and watch film. Well, Morley, uh, we, I was, I was thinking the, uh, when the NHL playoffs come around, uh, if and do it, they get going uh i mean these teams now they're gonna be two months they're gonna know their opponents for two months so yeah. coaches have two months to pour over that tape and we might get a lot of zero zero games because of that oh, i hope you're wrong there well we, listen we hope against hope that there will be a season so that you won't be deprived of another heavenly trip to winnipeg because we don't want to see that happen again so Morley, oh, i'm looking forward to walking <laughs> along the river on uh, game day morning yeah i know you are morley can thank- i ask one question go ahead yeah, Chris, we, yeah, yeah. Morley go? yeah just uh I, I noticed a lot of backlash on twitter uh to the edmonton eskimos both the the black picture they tweeted out today that's the trend of the day and also the statement they put out a couple days ago a lot of it surrounding their name and the fact that people think it should be changed. What has the reaction? Because Twitter can be a bubble, but what has the reaction been in Edmonton? It's it's funny. I I, I looked at all when they put their statement out, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before. When I looked on Twitter, everything was negative. Everyone was angry. I looked on Facebook, and everyone was, was proud of their team and the, and the stance they took. As far as 
the name goes, the Eskimos are in a situation where uh, if and until, if or until they change their name, they're going to hear about it all the time. Every time something comes up, it's going to be in the limelight. Uh, they made a statement in February and said that they have uh, done all their due diligence. And, and as of right now, there, there was no plans to change the name. That was the statement that was made in February. And uh, we really haven't heard anything from them. Uh, about that since then and that's the way they wanted it they said this is kind of our our last statement on this for now uh maybe they'll have to revisit it because of what's going on in the world right now i don't know but uh it's something that over the last uh, especially the last 10 to 15 years has become something that uh, the eskimos uh have to deal with once twice sometimes three times a year that somebody will do a story on it and then they'll have to react to it And i think they they got tired of, of the reaction and that's why they they had the study and they you know, they met and they put up a statement in February that said, we're not changing our name. We've, we've decided that we're going to move forward at the Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, but I'm sure we haven't heard the last of it. I'm positive we haven't heard the last of it. Marley, thanks for doing this. Hope to see you in September. Thanks, Marley. All right, guys. I hope so, too. Stay safe. Just a couple minutes left in tonight's Bomber Hour. And, Bob, we had Kahari Jones on the show last week, a great guest now the head coach of the Montreal Alouettes, but he shared a, an emotional recounting of some really terrible things that happened to him when he was in Winnipeg today. Yeah, when we had him on uh, last week, Christian, this issue wasn't out the way it is right now, so we, we didn't get into it. But, of course, he was asked about it today when he did a conference call as the head coach of the Montreal Alouettes, and he uh, talked about the fact that he received death threats while he was a quarterback of the Bombers back in the early 2000s, and those were because of his interracial marriage. He's black, and his wife, Justine, is white. Kelly Moore and I talked about this today, and I I remember it to a degree, but, uh, you know, it, it doesn't uh, sort of resonate with me. But now that I think about it, I do recall it. It was kind of... There wasn't a big deal made out of it. Jones is very emotional today, though, when he talked about it. He said the threats came in the form of letters that remain in his possession. He said it could have been one person, but that's still too many to do it just on the basis of a person's skin color. He says that's horrible. It's funny, Christian, I was thinking that, uh, you know, my response back then would have been, well, that's just some nut job out there. Don't worry about it. It's it's no big deal because the people love you here. And they did. They loved Kahari and his, and his wife. But it's easy for me to say that, right? It's easy right. for me to say, hey, Kahari, it's no big deal. Uh, but for him, even if it's one person, and he thinks it might have been one person who wrote two or three or four letters, it is a big deal. I mean, it might not be to me. I can I can pass it off and say, hey, you know, forget about it. It's just some goof. But it, it we don't understand how it resonates with him, right? And that's really ultimately the crux of what we're looking at right now in society. We don't know what it's like to be in someone's shoes yep. that is receiving death threats for their marriage because of their race. That was, you know, almost two decades ago, and... I'd like to think some times have changed, but clearly that's not necessarily the case in many facets of society. And what we have to do is we listen, we say, hey, we hear you, we empathize. I can't believe what that would be like to experience that. I hate that it had to happen. I'm glad that you're willing to share this now, and we all hope that this doesn't have to happen to anyone ever again. Yeah, I would just say to him, look, uh, my heart goes out to you, but I am never going to pretend I know what it's like because I do not know and I cannot know what it's like. So